Hi, welcome to Serious Banter today. This is the concluding part of the conversation we began on the agribusiness value chain in Nigeria. Exactly is is agribusiness. What, what does agribusiness mean? People are doing some subsistence farming or, or survival farming, and they think it's agribusiness. Mm-hmm. So, in your own opinion, what what is agribusiness? Well, uh, agribusiness first and foremost is not farming. Okay, let's let's get it right. Agribusiness is not farming. Farming is an activity, right? Is is if you are if you are raising two trees of purple in your garden. That is farming. If you are engaged in agroponics, a few fish, aquaculture, pond, that is farming too. But agribusiness is not farming. Agribusiness is a business. <laughs> That's one thing I want to point out. As an agribusinessman, from day one, you are focused on making profits. That means your plan and your business model is with an eye at sustainability. An agribusinessman, you do not necessarily engage laborers, you engage agri practitioners. Mm. That means your attention in where you are building your team is not so much about just having bronze, but about putting together a team, a balanced team of brains and bronze. An agribusiness ultimately pays taxes as on the corporate level this weekend. On the Nigerian Twitter, taxes have been raving, and I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. An agribusiness is focused on scale. So if you are engaged in agribusiness, not, not farming, you, are, you have sort of what, like, uh, what a technology person would call a roadmap, a product roadmap. You sort of know, okay, I'm going to be doing 10 hectares this year. I plan to now grow that to 50. I plan to now add a little bit of processing. I plan to now add a little bit of animals. You must have a roadmap for your business because a business that produces just throws off money every year to you, like, like a bond, is not a growing business. It's a, it's a dead end. So an agribusiness must have a roadmap for scaling because ultimately, the number one rule of economics, which is economies of scale, will apply to you. The more you scale, the less your unit costs and the higher your margin. So as an agribusiness, you are focused on the margin. So because you are focused on the margin, you are employing the best people. You are engaging the best balance between brains and bronze who are agreed practitioners, and you are looking at scale ultimately. And by the way, I cannot say this enough. If you are in diaspora, you are educated. I forbid you to take part in farming, to engage in farming. You are required to engage in agribusiness. Because if you engage in farming and not agribusiness, you will have gone to the same level that our great-great-great-grandfathers explained the last time on the call. At the same level, the Neolithic man was playing, which is not expected of you because of your education. Because of your education and the burden of leadership that have been imposed on you to be born as a Nigerian in 2020, that means the first 60 years of your country's independence to shape this country and to shape this land. 
you have a responsibility to choose to do agribusiness, not farming. <laughs> Why is this so? Let me give you an example. When I look at the demographics of the United States, in, 19, in 1970, the United States had a population of 120, uh, 100 and, uh, 203 million people, about the same population that Nigeria has today. That is in 1970. Do you think your level of food security in Nigeria today is at the same level as the United States in 1970? Absolutely not. Yeah. I already explained to you that agribusiness, by even the designs of the federal government of Nigeria, agribusiness is the only sector in Nigeria that is tax exempt. So the advantages in engaging in agriculture and agribusiness, in fact, when you go to the website of the Nigerian Investment Promotion Commission, it says the agricultural sector in Nigeria enjoys pioneer status with attendance tax exemption to all companies operating dairy. Again, let us note, it is not to individuals. It is to all companies operating dairy. That means you must be organized as a company and as an agribusiness to take advantage of this tax exemption. You enjoy all agri and agro-industrial machine and equipment enjoy zero duty in Nigeria. Companies engaged in agro-allied trade are granted 100% capital allowance. Agribusiness is tax-free. Agro-allied plants and equipment enjoy enhanced capital allowance of up to 50%. Processing of agricultural produce is a pioneer industry. Consequently, there is a 100% tax-free period for five years of projects into processing of agricultural produce. There's tax release for research and development in agriculture, up to 75% guarantee for all loans provided by ag uh, commercial banks in agriculture. Interest drawback program, AG ACG, 60% repayment of interest by those who borrow from banks under the ACGS as well. Expatriate quota and resident permit in respect of expatriate personnel engaged in agri is waived. Corporate tax incentive rebate of 12% is enjoyed by anybody that attained certain level of blending and processing in the industry. Personal remittance uh, quota for expatriate is waived, free of any tax imposed by any enactment for the transfer of external currency out of Nigeria. The Nigerian Investment Promotion Commission Act allows 100% ownership of companies by foreigners, while the Federal Exchange Miscellaneous Act guarantees 100% repatriation of capital, profit, and dividends through authorized means. These are the tax incentives in place for agribusiness. And that's why even for foreign entities like Ola, they are essentially operating a tax-free entity by engaging in agricultural production, processing, and distribution. Again, let me repeat, agribusiness, not farming. If you engage in farming and you're not organized as an agribusiness, you will still be liable for your personal income tax, income tax because there's no waiver on you being a farmer and getting any kind of exemption from taxes. But for you to be able to enjoy these tax exemptions, you must be an agribusiness. So let me ask a stupid question. Yeah. What is it, what makes me an agribusiness as different than a farmer? There you go. First thing is you must have undertaken what, what I call the PRTPE principle. You can write it down. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> I'll take us to school today. <laughs> yeah, I would. Come again. P R T P E principles. P R T P E principles. The first P 
is for planning. For you to call yourself an agribusiness, you must have a plan. Most farmers just often respond to season. When rain falls, oh, rain not start to the fall. Ah, now we'll be amazed if they plant this season. I think <laughs> that, that backyard with it, we could clear them. We could have put small maize. We could use and take chop for the next. Know, something, you know. <laughs> yeah, man, I'll be worried, boy. Don't worry. I'll be sound sound. When boys go there, they will clear. They will say, okay, put uh, one person will say, that's what they do. That's what our grandpapa they do their maize. That's what we apply fertilizer. No, don't do fertilizer. Do fertilizer today, do tomorrow. That is farming. Agribusiness does not operate like that. Agribusiness is based on planning. Strategic so, 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 so essentially, are you trying to tell me that like, I have to have real money to say I want to get into agribusiness? You don't. You know, it's, it's I'll get to it. Uh, let, me, let me get to it. I'll get to the issue of money and agribusiness. The, often the question that people ask around business and agribusiness and money is actually not even required the way you think about it. Depending on how you think about your finance, we'll get to these factors of production when you get there. Okay, cool. Let me finish this PRTP so that the audience can understand where we are going. Mm. After you finish planning, you need to now, you need to register a business. That's the hard. Like I explained to you with all these tax incentives, all the things I've just reeled out to you, you must have a business registered. Not only must you register that business, you must make sure that business have all the statutory requirements. You are registered under VAT, even though you will not be liable to pay one, but every month you are supposed to file zero so that you have VAT tax-free. You must make sure that every year you collect your tax clearance. You are not required in the first five years if you are into production and processing to pay any kind because you have 100% tax, uh, capital allowance and even 150% after five years. So more than likely, in your first 20 years of operating, you will never pay company income tax but you are still required to file your tax return and make sure you have that ability. Why? Because you are an agribusiness and opportunities will come, and I'll get to when I get into financing. Opportunities especially will come on the government side and they will require all this statutory documentation. And for you to even benefit from all of, all of these tax exemptions, you must register and be statutory. Number three, and this is the part that a lot of people do not do. You need to build a team. Look, you cannot start an engineering company, an oil and gas firm, a pharmaceutical company, and everything. And what you just do is, oh, I'm going to start a pharma company, and you're going to lock yourself in a room, and I'm just going to start by myself, or I'm going to find my cousin, my brother. No. No. You wouldn't start any business like that. Why are you doing it to the most important business, the business that will feed the country? The problem we've had over the years is that our approach to building agri-business agri teams have been flawed. We think in our mind that agriculture is an activity that our forefathers have been engaging in, and why not? It's not rocket science now. Let me just call my brother. Hey, carry two boys there. You guys should clear the place. No. If you are going to engage in crop farming, for example, the first person you need to be looking for is an agronomist. You must engage an agronomist. You must engage a crop scientist. You must take soil samples. You must do the topographical mapping of the land that you are going to use. You must understand the topsoil properties and the, and the wash and the slope of the, of, the, of the farm that you want to acquire before you acquire it. 
you must ensure that if you are into livestock, you've already done your mapping of the breed that is going to work for what you want to do. Are you, do you want to do meat? Do you want to do milk? Do you want to do, uh, do, you want to do dairy? Do you want to do breeding? So you, and you must have experts in those areas that either you employ them on full-time basis, consultants, or short service. And then you must understand that when you build that human resource, you need somebody to manage it. So if you are, even if you're a small business and you have three people, you're a startup, I think you will have somebody responsible for that human resource. So if it requires you to have an HR manager, if you are putting $20,000, $30,000, and to have an HR manager to manage the human, human aspect of things, then so what it be. And that team must have regular meetings. They must have plans. They must have engagement. They must have appraisals. It is, you, you must build a professional team. If you don't do that, that is the number one reason why agribusinesses, the few that actually get to try to start indigenously in Nigeria, that's why they fail. They will get to the, they will start the planning, they will do it grudgingly. They will definitely register a business because they want to use it as a tax loophole or a tax escape. But when it comes to building a team, they will shock on that and then they will give it to their brother, their cousin, their, their nephew, or their stepmother's brother, or whatever you want to call it. And then the whole thing will crumble because there will be leakages. You need to find a professional. If you have to get, have a guy as an MBA as your MD, so be it. If you understand the scale at which you are playing. You must Michael, Michael, quick question. In terms of the initial things you need to do, one question has to do with, does that include DNA sequencing of the livestock? So if it was like a livestock uh, business that you are getting into, Planning. You get, again, you don't have to start to do everything once. You get there. But at the point when you need it, yes, you have to do what you want to do if you are doing breeding. Right? You need a DNA sequence if you are doing breeding in livestock. But if you are not doing breeding, why do you need it? Your, your own is meat, fatting, kill, and slaughter. So you need to find an animal that converts feed. Say that again. Say that again. Fatting, kill, and slaughter. <laughs> and process and supply to the alapata. So you just need to find animals that convert feed quickly. So you need to do your research. There are tons of research documents, by the way, online. Our agriculture, Nigeria has, I think, about 12 agricultural universities. Our researchers have actually done a lot of work, and they just post their, a lot of their ideas and uh, stuff online. I, I think uh, what they call this journal, uh, I, I'm so, subscribed to it. I get any feedback on anything, livestock, on that journal. It's on my phone. And I get good articles that will tell me this breed is the one that will work for this, this that breed is the one that will work for that. Again, this, most of these are even available for free. But you must be curious, research, look for it, and also find the team that you offload these ideas to. Number four, the fourth one, which I, which I call the, that's, that's the P. Remember we said P-R-T-P-E. We touched on plant, we touched on registering a business, and we talked talked about building a team. That's T, the team. The fourth one is process. See, the only way you can do something repeatedly and then scale it is if you have a process and document it. I say this all the time when I go and I engage with my own staff and my team. So what you must fight, the number one thing you will fight, even for a, a young team, our, at the average age of our team, my general manager, by the way, veterans agree partners, is only 26 years old. Those are the kind of people I like to engage. I don't like to engage experience. What's the background of, of this person? That is, this I person, know. so he, he knew how to start things. That's what mattered to me. And he's a manager and leader of men. Okay? So, and it's only, to, and, and again, it's about finding that leader to lead that team. Not so much about certificates. I don't need their certificates for anything. If I find a guy that is as school sat, and I can train that guy on how to 
on in two or three weeks the basics of livestock farming, then he's qualified as a livestock farmer, either as a technician or whatever you want to call it, then by all means, use him. You understand? So the, the, key, the key actually is that we need as a people, when you are building your team, to look at fit for purpose, not just certificates. I'm not talking about certificates. When I'm talking about skills and all of this, I'm not discussing certificates. When I talked about getting the right team with the right balance, it's not necessarily that they, are, they must go to university. They might have learned it by trade. They might have understudied somebody. The guy that was leading us, in, our team initially, in terms of selection of livestock, understudied one of the best trained consultants that worked in the Federal Ministry of Agriculture who was about to re- retire. And he was just an intern. He studied, I think he studied mechanical engineering, but he's the guy that selects the best livestock when he goes to the market because he had understudied the master. You must now implement processes. So if that team starts, doesn't mean that the team you start with is the team that you finish with. People move, they are bored. So it's, it almost falls on you as a leader, as the owner of the business, to, to create the culture of documenting your process. Because there, there are not many people that have done this in our part of the world. So we do not have the luxury of even uh, templates. So what you need to do is, that, okay, I'm a livestock farmer. What are the processes in this farm? What is my uh, standard SOP? What, how do you keep records? How do you ensure that when an animal gets sick, you know that animal by name, you know that animal by tag number, you record it, you know every information about that animal is in a book, and you make your team record that information. How do you ensure that if somebody leaves or goes sick one day in his own work on the team or on the farm or in the, in the office that supports the farm or in the shop where the farm produces is sold or in the factory where they are processing the farm produce, somebody else can step in immediately and do what the guy is doing. So if you do not implement processes, then you are not an agribusiness. You are still, you are probably an improved farmer. Michael, you are not an agribusiness. Good question. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, as with every business, I like that you're emphasizing the fact that this is a business, right? It's very important. Mm. Now, as with every business in any sector that you pick, succession planning is very important. Human capital very selection, right? Team selection and all that. And now that you mention it, I know you've 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 put in a caveat and said, look, this doesn't necessarily mean people who attended universities or anything, but is there anybody anywhere in the country that you know of who is doing the work of educating people who might want to work as farmhands, you know, these allied services? Is there any any yeah. exactly is anybody laying that Leventis, foundation? Leventis foundation. Check them out, Leventis Foundation. I've employed, half of my team is employed from Leventis Foundation uh, Agri-Training College in Nigeria. Beautiful. Agri-Training College. Leventis, AG Leventis Foundation. You will see their one-year training program for Agri. You just put it online. Just put Leventis Foundation Agri-Training, Agricultural Training. Fantastic. You've answered my question. Yeah, they admit about 100 people a year and actually pay them to participate in the training and then they just... You can go in there and and, and, and and hire them. It's all expenses paid, by the way, for students that attend. So the foundation does it as a CSR. Hello, Mr. Bola. Can you hear me? Good I can hear you. Yes, yes, we can all hear you, actually. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for joining us. Commissioner, please go ahead. Okay, I know what this um, session is about. is essentially um, agribusiness. 
I think it would be fine if I speak from the perspective of the Lagos State Ministry of Agriculture with regards to agribusiness. So first and foremost, we have a department, the agribusiness department in the Ministry of Agriculture, Lagos State. And the mandate of this department is actually to create or to um, enable an ecosystem where public sector, private sector partnerships can be um, enhanced, where linkages also between our producers, being our farmers, with the consumers or those along the value chain, maybe wholesalers or retailers are also um, a bit more cohesive and essentially just to give adequate information to anyone interested in the agribusiness sector and agribusiness as a whole. Part of what we are trying to do also is to ensure that for the agenda around agriculture in Lagos State, it is on some pillars that are fundamental to anyone wanting to be in this space. And the pillars rest on the the idea around agriculture being a business in itself. I think we get the notion, or generally Nigerians or Lagosians, we have this notion that agriculture is some, some backward kind of sector or some backward old school, you know, environment or ecosystem and i think also it's because we haven't done a lot as a state we haven't done a lot as a country to also promote agriculture or agriculture in the best light Mm -hmm. and i think the greatest ambassador we've had in recent times has been the afdb president mr akimome adeshino i think he's doing a fantastic job and he's also making people a bit more interested in agriculture so the pillars like i mentioned we have, we have capacity building and empowerment. We have the PPP. We have financing, funding, and we also have infrastructural development. All of this so along any value chain that anyone would like to play in. And the value chain essentially being that you necessarily do not have to be a producer. You don't have to be a farmer. You could be an aggregator within the chain. You could be a logistics or service provider. You could be a marketer. You could be a mm-hmm. distributor. Along the value chain, wherever it is you find yourself, whatever it is that you want to do with the Ministry of Agriculture, Lagos State, it still has to come under one of those pillars. But what is more important now is that this entire ecosystem is more tech-enabled, meaning everything we like to do should be around technology enablement, such that our systems are faster, our processes are faster, more transparent, and then with data, to be able to give a more holistic picture as to what we are trying to do and then going forward, building on that database for people to be able to make solid decisions around agriculture. So essentially, like I said, our job is to create an enabling environment around the agribusiness space. That is what we would like to do, to be able to put adequate information out there for anyone in any part of the world wanting information with regards to investing within the space. We would like to make this information available. We would like to make information as truthful and as holistic as possible for anyone to be able to at least make that decision to say, yes, I would like to get into the space or not. Thank, thank you very much. So I'll just be um, asking a few questions that I have here real quick. Someone said, uh, there's no land in the there's no land in Lagos to even use for primary production. It is worth okay. land to farm. 
Okay, so I think that is not true. Honestly speaking, there is actually land in Lagos. It's just that the land for agricultural development has been under a lot of misuse. So you come to an agency under the Ministry of Agriculture called Agric Lands Holding Authority, AHA. So AHA's mandate is to make agric land available to anyone wanting to come within the agri space. But abuse has happened in the past because adequate um, background checks have not been done. You send an application, you want land, whether in a farm settlement or estate or outside of a farm settlement or estate, you are allocated the land, the land is leased to you, and then you find these people sitting on this land for years doing nothing with it, hoping to eventually convert it to real estate for commercial purposes, for housing or what have you. So there has actually been misuse on the part of those coming to ask for this land, and I guess at some point in time, a stop was put to agric lands being leased out. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have is, Agric zones in Lagos State. We have Eke, we have Badagri, we have Ikorodu. These are the three main agric zones within Lagos. If you require land for agric purposes, under the administration of Mr. Baba Gideolushola Songulu, you must show us the business concept. You must show us proof of concept. You must show us the financial viability around what you want to do. And if you pass this requirement, and this land is allocated to you after you have done the needful, you would also be given a time frame under which you must put this land to use. It could be within three to six months, but you must show that this land is being used for what you have asked for, for it. And if it's not, that list will be revoked. So that is actually what we are doing now under this administration. But in the past, this system has been abused and it's just very unfortunate that this is where we find ourselves. But land is available in Lagos. That's the honest truth. I'm reading someone somewhere here is asking that how do we apply? So you can just write a letter requesting for land allocation or asking for land to be leased to you. Just write to my office, the Honorable Commissioner, Acting Commissioner, Ministry of Agriculture, and I will forward it to the appropriate agency for them to treat, where you will be invited you show your proof of concept, your business concept, and all of those things. It will be scrutinized, and then going forward, you'll see how to take it from there. But land is certain, definitely available. So, so, so can I ask a, a yes. follow-up question, uh, HC? Yes. Can we make that kind of process, can we digitalize that process? So, it's, it's so, so, so we... that's actually, yes, yes. So that's actually part of what we are trying to do now. So, Number one, we want to make information available for people to know where land is available for agric uh, purposes in Lagos. So we are actually working on a more holistic website now where everything around agriculture is made available. The idea of someone having to come down to Alausa to the ministry to make inquiries, it's not the right way. At least you should be able to get the barest minimum information to make adequate decisions online. So we are trying to work on that to ensure that, yes, this information is put out there. The locations are also out there. The system, the process for you to even say you want to start is all put out there such that eventually this whole thing is streamlined and one can get land as quickly as possible. I know that this is actually a pain point for a lot of people in Lagos that for them to apply for land, it takes a long time and then they find it easier going to other states. But we are changing that narrative under this administration to ensure that if you require agri-land mm-hmm. and it's genuine, 
it will be done and expedited on time. Thank you. So also someone said, what's the relationship between Lagos State Government with other farmers outside Lagos? Outside Lagos. Okay, so I think a relationship that we have would be Lagos is essentially the market. Lagos State Government Ministry of Agriculture will act as the facilitator. And we are actually in partnership with other system ministries in other states, especially in the uh, southwest area. So today, for instance, we had the Eco City Farmers Market, and the idea around this initiative was to be able to get farmers from other states to also bring in their produce into Lagos. So essentially creating a win-win situation. In as much as we don't have enough land in Lagos for people to till, we are the market. Other states have the land. They can produce more, and they can bring in this produce into Lagos. So that partnership, that relationship is there with a lot of our sister southwestern states. And even aside that, we are also having land banks. So essentially, we are trying to get lands also in other states to be able to use for production, whether be it for animal husbandry or crop production. So we would have, in the time past, had some land in Ugu State, also in Osho State, even as far as Abuja, we have land in Abuja. So we are trying to create land banks the way you have other countries like UAE, specifically Dubai, doing. We are also having land banks to ensure that, okay, even if we don't have as much as we would like, we can have this in other updates where we can now get production going. Thank you very much, Commissioner. So my, my co-host, Justin, has a question for you. Okay. Good evening, uh, Madam Commissioner. Nice to have you on the show. Good evening. So my thoughts are about how we look at this thing from a holistic perspective. On the one hand, we have production activities, right, which is where people are actually in the farm farming. Yeah. But the way that it is most effective is when you, from a policy perspective, take the entire gamut of, of activities yeah. into into view, right? So the processing, the marketing, yes. and trade. Yes. I know that yes. in the past, Nigeria had, when agriculture was the mainstay of our economy, we had commodity trading boards. And the role yes. of these boards was essentially when farmers finish what they do on the farm, we need to be able to provide them yes. offtake and the liquidity that comes with offtake. Fantastic. Yes. You're, you're, I think you're reading my mind, Commissioner. So what are we doing <laughs> in Lagos in this regard? Okay, so thank you very much for that question. And I think this is one of the bedrock initiatives of Mr. Babajidi Olusolasun. And the reason why I say it is this administration is very passionate about market access. Lagos is the destination market for sub-Saharan Africa. Lagos is the largest market for anything, any produce at all, any commodity in sub-Saharan Africa. But one thing we find lacking is market organization. So you have the likes of Mile 12 market, you have Oyingu market, you have Edo market, you have markets scattered all over. But in terms of getting adequate information to say, I would like to enumerate what comes into Lagos from other parts of Nigeria or even other parts of West Africa. I would like to say this is the potential size of, let's say, this particular produce within Lagos market. You can only have a commodity market board when you can streamline and say, this is the average quality, this is the average quantity that comes in, and then you can say this is the benchmark price point you can put on that product. 
that is the way commodity market works. You need to be able to set and regulate that price. But you can only do that when you have adequate information to say this is what is coming in in terms of supply and this is what the demand is. So net-net, you know what uh, the market situation is. Essentially, pricing is a function of supply and demand anyway. But what you find in Lagos is our markets are so disorganized that you cannot have that transparency around getting the adequate price point and the quality and all of those things, the entire supply chain. So part of what we are trying to rectify now is our market. How can we create a market policy that is adequate enough to cover everything from logistics to supply chain, cold storage solutions, to price points, um, to quality, to standardization, to even up to merchandising, how can we get all of these things sorted such that there's transparency around our market system? And that is one thing that we are passionate about. We have actually started the process. We are working on developing a market policy around food systems within Lagos. And when I say food systems, markets are not just about food alone. You have other markets, automobile markets, spare parts markets, all of those things. But we are starting off with food systems because that is what pertains to agriculture. And we believe that once there's clarity around what standards we should be having in our markets going forward, even how our markets are designed, how the flow is for people to be able to come and do what they have to do, move out, how trucks should bring in food from the north, the standards in which they should bring in this food, the price point at which these items will be brought into Lagos. You know, when all of this are put in place, then we can begin to say this is how implementation is going to happen. And what this means is essentially we are going to begin to drive standardization back to the point of origin. So if you want to bring in anything into Lagos, we are also going to have a sections or I don't know whether to call them sections or toll points. When I say toll, I don't mean tolling for money, but toll points where um, things are, are weighed, they are checked for quality, they are checked for standardization as to how they are being brought into the um, states and then before they get into this particular market. So we are trying to create this entire ecosystem around market food systems such that we are eventually able to come to having a commodities exchange board. Currently, there's even Lagos uh, Commodities Exchange Board. It's not Lagos State, but they are in partnership. They are in talks with Lagos State actually around this uh, creation of this commodity board for Lagos State to be a part of it. But we still believe that essentially we need to have a market system policy around how things should be brought into Lagos, how things should be done within Lagos markets going forward. So I just want to assure you that this administration is actually on top of it. And we are having world-class consultants also working with us to ensure that we bring this to bear in the shortest possible time. Thank you very much, AC. Justin, do you have a follow-up? If not, I wanted to bring in Michael, because I know Michael, yeah, Michael has one. Let's, let's have Michael on. Yeah. Okay, Michael. Okay. I know. Uh, Honorable Commissioner, it's a pleasure. I know you are talking a bit to talk, so Michael, <laughs> go ahead. No, no problem, no problem. Uh, Honorable Commissioner, it's a pleasure meeting you. Okay. Batman's, just as an introduction, we're into livestock production, processing from uh, feedstock to your table. So everything from okay. feeding the animals, the feedstock of the animals to produce it, to fattening the animal at our, at our ranch. We have one in uh, Kefi, mm-hmm. another in Adoikiti, and one in Ikorodu. And then uh, slaughtering, processing, and then uh, we have our meaty mat 
chain, two of which are in Lagos, one to the other one in Ikeja, and okay. another one here in Abuja. Okay. Uh, so uh, okay. I think the conversations with your predecessor had gone around during the agribusiness summit uh, with AFDB yes. in February was around uh, helping you to activate your, your ranch facility here in Abuja as your, as your, as your feeder. So okay. I'm looking forward to uh, working with your administration to make that a reality. And we welcome your leadership mm-hmm. to finalize on that matter. Uh, because I think uh, one area where your administration can begin to have impact is how to leverage. Uh, not necessarily everybody was saying there's no land in Lagos. Lagos really does not need land to engage in agriculture. You are the, you are the biggest market. So the, again, you have to look at your yes. competitive yeah. advantage. The competitive advantage of Lagos yeah is the fact that it is yes. the market. And the second thing is that you are also an aquatic state. So instead of asking for land, I will yes. ask you, what are you doing with your waters? Uh, Nigerians with consume water, exactly. over 10 million tons of fish every year. And if Lagos exactly. is not driving that com- conversation around aquaculture, then uh, we have a problem. Exactly. So uh, you, don't, you don't have to play exactly. to the strength. You cannot compete, you cannot compete with Adamawa. You can't compete with... Uh, with a Bauchi, exactly. you, cannot, you definitely cannot compete with Zamfara when it comes to land. Uh, the entire southwest yes. state, uh, southwest states is equal to the size or is yes. less than the size of Niger State. Niger State is bigger than entire southwest. Exactly. Yes. So, so you can't compete yes. with land. So let's focus on the one where you can compete, which is water. Area have exactly. yes. And then your market. And I think to agri businesses, the biggest issue that agribusiness is will face in Nigeria is structured market. Not just market. You know, when we yes. say market, there's, there's market that is there that you can go in and sell your stuff at spot. If you're an agribusiness, not a farmer, not a survivalist, yes. uh, you, you want to be able to have guarantees on the way that in terms of take from you. So yes. that you need a structured market, not a market. And to the question my colleague just yes. asked before, one of the ways that, the, for example, the, 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 we, you are able to provide that is through this idea of commodities board. Uh, unfortunately for Nigeria, we abandoned these entities, uh, which were first region, regional, pools, the NTA, the Cuckoo House okay. in the southwest of Nigeria, were built off the revenue the government got from commodity boards. That was the way government made money okay. from agriculture. So government provided guaranteed pricing, grading, standardization to every farmer. So you as a farmer, your own is to focus on productivity. You don't worry about the price. Productivity focus on quality. Quality, Quality. yeah. Quality Quality one, but productivity in the sense that if you can produce more from the same land, then you make more money. Right? So you rely on the extension officers and all of that, and then you improve your practices. And that was the way my own grandfather was able to build the first duplex in the whole of Ikoli. I'm a son of a cocoa farmer who who also had cola nut, and he sent 13 children to become graduates as far back as 1952. Area. Exactly. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All of that, the only reason they were able to achieve this in 1952 was because there was structured market. What yes. happened was that when we found oil, we now decided to provide that structured market to oil and then refused to provide the same structured oil. market to agriculture. Exactly. Yes. Because today, there's no marginal fuel player or uh, oil fuel player that worries about how to sell their oil. 
because there's what they call the, uh, the COMD, Crude Oil Marketing Division in NMPC. The moment you produce your oil, COMD have what they call plat price, and they give you discounts, and you know your oil will be picked up from you, and that's their problem. Okay. So all you are working... Yes, what you are worried about as a crude oil producer in Nigeria today or gas producer is just how much of that can you produce. So you focus on your technical. That's why Shell is doing their work. Afrin is doing their work. Uh, Nigeria Petroleum is doing their work. So why can't we do the same thing for agribusiness? What agribusinesses need from government? And I will, I will go back to what Justin said. The number one thing agribusinesses need from government. We are working with, by the way, we are headquartered in Nasarawa as we have dual entities. We have two large farms in, in Nasarawa State. And, of course, we have Lagos and we have Ikiti. And, of course, our corporate headquarters in Abuja. But because of our work in Nasarawa, we are now working with the Nasarawa State Government to work with the, uh, the NEMEX, what they call them, the, the exports importing to develop the... Uh, yeah, to develop the commodity, yeah, the, the commodity board for Nasarawa State with a $1 billion facility. I believe this is the singular most important thing any state government can do for their agribusinesses. I totally agree. Create your commodity boards. Provide, look, if you tell me and tell, look, I will go, if you tell me you will buy my maize at this price, and I know what it is, I will take, I will walk back to the answer. I will now figure out what my EOP, my cost of production. Lobby all the old farmers to give us their land so that we can then, then produce more for, for on, on less. We will do it. So the, the problem often is that this lack of structured Offtake is the singular most important thing yeah. every state government should focus on. And it's also the only way, because Nigeria has a tax-exempt agricultural sector, it is the yeah. only way money can only come back to the state. Because what will the state do? The state will build silos. The state will build exchanges. The state will have instruments. And what will happen is they will go out and send out 10,000, 20,000 extension workers to different agribusiness, provide them support on the field, buy their produces, store it in the silos, and when the prices move up above what the state pays for it, the state sells. Or the state can have a, an office in yes, can have an office in China. The state can have an office in Thailand. The state can have an office again, we do not need federal government to do this. It was done at the regional level prior to after independence up until the time of the coup when everything was uh, unified under the Nigerian produce marketing uh, company. Oh, and then it was disbanded in 1977 because of corruption. However, what we need to do is to go take that back to all the states. All the 36 states should have this commodity board and should use it as a means to also gain revenue. State governments like Lagos can have silos full of wheat, silos full of corn, silos full of beans, cowpea, silos full of cassava chips, and then they can go to China and negotiate a one deal. When Donald Trump goes to China and is negotiating for American farmers, he's not negotiating for American farmers directly. USDA does the same thing. It is a capitalist country. USDA have their silos filled. And whenever China needs to buy, China comes to USDA and USDA sends the grain to China. So we are doing oil and gas non-diplomacy when we have our greatest resources as the second largest arable land by proportion in the world. And we need to leverage it and we need to produce and sell. Lagos states will become richer. The money Lagos states will make from our Greek it will never be able to make it even from taxation, I'm sorry to say. By the time you focus on this and do commodity budget. Very true. Th- thank you, Michael. Very true. Sorry, can I quickly say something? Yes, please. Don't worry, we don't tell people to okay. talk to their so, mic. I'm very, I'm very happy with the way Michael spoke. I can 
feel the passion. I can feel the passion, and I can tell you for free that yes, what you say is very much right. Now, someone made a comment on Olamide. He said government is inefficient when it comes to this. Government should not get into the business of um, doing what Michael has said. And I just wanted to dispel that notion. I lived in Ghana for eight years, and I worked with Olam International. And the government of Ghana is actually the singular body that can export cocoa as a product from Ghana. The government of Ghana, in conjunction with the government of Cote d'Ivoire, they are the only two key players that can sit and regulate cocoa price globally. It is the price they set that the likes of Netflix, Monsanto, and the big players in the chocolate or the confectionery industry would buy at. So they have the opportunity to be able to regulate and set prices for the international market when it comes to cocoa. And I don't think it is a function of whether government is inefficient or not. I think it's a function of whether we as a people, we are really ready to empower more Nigerians to make more money. So government can actually, if Ghana that is just a few miles away from us can do it, and they've been doing it for years, and they take it as a source of pride that cocoa is their life source. Mm. Forget that they discovered oil. Even oil is still not on that level as they would pride cocoa. For them to set aside a day in their calendar, December 6th of every year, and call it Farmer's Day, where farmers are celebrated nationwide, where they are awarded by the president of Ghana, where a farmer will tell you that they see their, their, their children as a cocoa farm or as a cocoa tree because that is just what they have prided themselves on. I think mm. it's just a function of we as Nigerians sitting down to say, you know, we're going forward. We are really going to do a U-turn and get back into agriculture as our mainstay. Forget oil. Oil is just a function of when is it going to run out. And already, with the little that happened, especially around COVID-19, the lockdown, the issues with Russia and Saudi Arabia, it's just shown us a snippet of what can happen to an entire economy when two countries sit and decide that they are not going to talk to one another and the oil prices plummeted. So I think this is the time really for us to sit. And this is the time also as a government where we can really put our acts together and get to work and set up a commodities exchange. So Michael, thank you very much. I would really like to meet you one-on-one. We and can I sit and it. deliver. With I, will, I will not oh, let Bola collect this consultancy from me. Bola is laughing already. He wants to collect the consultancy. I will make sure... We work on it. But what I don't worry, you can be my personal assistant. Don't worry now. I, you know, I'm, not... I'm just looking at you. I'm a question here for you. Now Justin wants to switch from grass farmer. Now he wants to be a commodity exchange uh-uh. consultant. All right. I have a question for the commissioner. So one of the questions that came in was, what is the contribution of agriculture to Lagos State's GDP? And what is the targeted growth in the next one, one year and also five like a five-year plan? like immediate plan and also a five-year plan. Okay, so if I just, to be honest with you, if I say what is the contribution of agriculture to Lagos State GDP, I would say it's virtually maybe less than a percent, and that's the honest truth. But then you also need to ask, what is the percentage of agricultural budget to Lagos State? It is also in the same range. It is actually just in this year alone that we've had the largest budget around agriculture, and that is tailored towards the rice mill, the Mata Rice Mill, and then a few other projects that we are trying to do. And that even was based on the impact of the COVID-19 lockdown on the economy and the threat that food insecurity played during that period. I'm sure we all experienced a sort of angst 
around agitated boys in the streets when they felt like they didn't have food to eat. And I mean, everyone was panicking. Yeah, and then everyone boys. began yeah, to see the importance of having food and the importance of food security in Lagos. So essentially, I think we've always downplayed the importance of agriculture in the state. And, you know, just being so urbanized, like, okay, we don't have land, so we are not bothered. All our food is coming from the north and from southwest or wherever. The thing is, just that lockdown, you know, just within the space of one month, we saw how critical it was for us to start having food security measures in place. Be it whether you want to have a food system, and like what Michael said, nothing stops us from having silos, building warehouses, buying foods, certain quality and standards, and selling it when the prices are right for us to make money. And essentially also, you are actually being more food secure just in case of an eventuality that was not planned for. So I believe that these are things that we are actually already working on. So I wouldn't say we are looking at it because we have looked and looked at it and we are already working on them. Like we said, market access is one. And when I say market access is one, that is around systems. Market systems meaning everything around policy with regards to market and how people can come in, be able to do good business, to make money for transparency within the system, to have this commodities exchange board. All of these things, we are working on it. I can bet you on it. And then I believe that having good people like you guys talking to you, you know, in a way, you're kind of even fueling the passion to say, yes, there are more people that think the way we are thinking. So I think we're essentially open to more partnerships, more proposals to um, having this engagement around what should be done in Lagos. So I believe that um, with everyone collaborating well, we should be able to achieve more. Thank you so much, Itzi. Well, we'll definitely put some, something together to kind of give feedback from this session. Also, uh, in, in this group chat, we have CEOs of some of some of these up-and-coming tech startups. I believe we have Farm Crowd in here. We have uh, Crop to Cash. We have, and we have some other guys in here, and I'm sure a lot of them are taking notes. And definitely, we'll be able to maybe organize some get-together where, you know, some other partnership opportunities can be laid out. Let me see if there's some other questions for you. I, I just want to say something around uh, what she had mentioned before around uh, the government and people thinking the government is inefficient. The first retort to that is that then government also should get out of the business of crude oil. Um, if you insist government should be in the business of crude oil, which is fit your cars, why should government not be in the business of what goes into your stomach, which is more important? COMD division under NNPC, the sole trader of crude oil in Nigeria. Why can't we have a sole trader of crude oil prices is, in, is indirectly set by the federal government of Nigeria because it's a member of the OPEC, the cartel, and whether we cut or increase production also impacts the price of crude oil. So if the government is interested in the price of crude oil, which makes oil and gas people rich, why should they not be looking at the price of, of commodity prices uh, of food so that our farmers can be rich? Because we should be in the business of making our farmers rich. For example, this year, uh, Ghana and Kuruvua finally sets what they call premium pricing for cocoa. And as a result, Nigeria, even Nigeria and Cameroon now will earn better pricing from cocoa this year based on that agreement that was reached last year. And by the way, Nigeria is, exactly. is still probably top three in uh, cocoa production, but we are not Nigeria participating. Is the market. Yes, and then, and then we are not participating in that discussion. You need your government to step up and to participate in that. And by the way, you're, you cannot participate in yeah. commodity cartels, whether crude oil or, 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 or food, if, you are, if it's, you are not government. Let me give you an example. Today in, in Nigeria, 
your beans and your millet is banned from going into Europe. You know why? Because Nigeria was, uh, uh, there were a few samples of uh, Nigerian exports to Europe that had some pests, uh, but there is no Nigerian government entity that will go yeah. in there as a trade negotiator, just the way Donald Trump will send USDA folks to go and negotiate grains or any. Nobody in Nigeria is the MPMC, the COMD for food, that will go to Europe, EU, and say, look, gentlemen, we solved the problem of this pest in Nigeria, and now Nigerian uh, produce can be exported to Europe. So there are some things that you cannot do as a private sector. There are some things that ultimately is the function of government. You can't keep saying government is inefficient, so government will not do the basic function of government. Your food security, whether you eat spoiled meat or meat that will send you to the hospital or not, is the responsibility of government. There's veterinary uh, medicine department under Madame. She, they have the responsibility to go into every abattoir, every processing plant in Lagos, and ensure that they are sticking to the hygiene standards. So that is the role of government. Yes, regulation. But when it comes to commodity exchange, com- uh, commodity yeah. uh, board and structured pricing for international, yeah. when you are going international, you are playing with the big boys. Uh, Brazil, USA, Russia, Egypt. These are massive. Netherlands, China. These are massive agricultural countries. And they are bringing their governments to the table. They are not coming with uh, Olam or Danguti that will be looking for their own personal and private interests. They are coming with their government and they will negotiate the price that they want. So we must make sure that our own government step up to the plate and does what we elect them to do, ultimately to make Nigerians secure and prosperous. The function of making us prosperous... Michael, Michael, please. There's a question about thinking thinking about status of agri as well-developed sector and revenue source and an attractive career path. Are, are there any plans to partner with LASU and LASPOTEC to increase the availability of agri talent in the state? That's a fantastic question because actually we are in talks with both institutions. Um, LASPOTEC team came to my office, I think that was about three weeks back. And LASPO also, we are in talks with them. So we have this facility at Araga, the agri Institute, where the LASPO team, they have actually been in talks with us for there are students in the Department of Agri to be able to come to this facility for proper training, for practical training, and then subsequently an exchange should be done from time to time for these students to come in and do what they have to do to be able to get better equipped in the agri space. So that is ongoing. Same thing with LASPOTEC, for us to also be able to get them involved in what we are doing and then for us to get involved in what they are doing. So that interchange is there between both LASU and LASPOTEC. And I can assure you that before the end of this year, we'll be seeing some great strides made in this direction. Fantastic, fantastic. The other question, yes. another question is, potential move of my 12 to Imata Agbora, is that still happening? So, Yes, it is. And um, we have the Immortal Regional Market, which is still under construction. Our team were there last week to also inspect because Mr. Governor is also very um, anxious to see the state of things and how soon this can happen. Obviously, we know that having the Maltov Market where it is located right now, it's a bit of an impediment traffic-wise, vehicular movement-wise, and we feel like, yes, Immortal being outside of that extremely urbanized area, it would actually help with the the flow of movement of goods and services. So that is still a project that is ongoing. The Ministry of Physical Planning and Urban Design is actually in charge of that. 
of trying to get this space ready for the market people to move there. So that plan is still on course. All right. So there's a question about, thank you very much, HC. There's a question about what technologies are being deployed. The world is at machine learning and artificial intelligence. Where is Lagos in this conversation as concerns agri? What about the policies affecting the use of modern technology in agriculture? Okay, so you see, the thing is, whenever people, whenever we talk about uh, use of technology, we're talking about artificial intelligence and what have you in other climes in the world. Yes, it's a fantastic thing, but trust me, I think where we are currently, not just in Lagos, but in Nigeria as a whole, except maybe for private sector participants in the agri space that are doing their thing and trying to move ahead of the game. But when you talk about the average smallholder farmer in Nigeria, we haven't even started to use some of the technologies that other countries or what have been done in or, or used in other clients, let's say in the past 10 years, we haven't even gotten to that level yet. So I believe it's just a function of, okay, how can we get our people, our farmers, our producers to even acclimatize themselves to the barest minimum technology that can ramp up productivity, that can increase yield as opposed to still doing things the same old way and expecting different results. Then, another thing that we are trying to work on in collaboration with the Ministry of Science and Technology, specifically with um, the Eco Innovation Center, run by the Special Advisor on Innovation and Technology, is to have agri-tech hubs. So the same way you go to places in Yaba and you have tech hubs for different um, industries, especially around fintech, we are trying to see how we can put together something around agriculture where the youth can help with regards to innovative solutions within the agri-space. So these are some of the things we are working on to ensure that, okay, yes, we start putting these things out there and start also making agriculture more hip, if I can use that word, more, yes. um, more attractive. Because people just have this assumption or this notion in their head that agriculture is just about who and cutlass. Agriculture is so backward. Agriculture is so old school. But we need to start to show people that, you know what, you can do exciting things around agriculture. And this is part of what we would like to do in collaboration with the Ministry of Science and Tech. Thank you very much. Uh, So Justin will be the last question. So Justin, your last comment and question for the Commissioner. Um, Not so much a question, more or less... um, more feedback. You would agree with me, Commissioner. One of the key things, you said it would be nice to see agriculture becoming hip, becoming cool. Which is, yes. I mean, it's desirable, right? So yes. that requires a certain shift in public attitude. In the yes. Nigerian public space, there's a deficit of trust between the masses, the young people in particular, and government generally. Um, part of the reason... Yes which we might not need to go into detail, but part of the major problem is lack of access to information before we even start talking yeah. about participation, right? You can't participate yeah. in something you're not aware of. And this, exactly. is one, this, is, this is why I'm happy that you honored the invitation to come on this show because it gives us an insight. Look at all the wonderful things that you're working on. If, if people are not talking about these things, if the, if the information is not easily accessible, people do not know. Accessible. Yeah, meanwhile... Yeah. Tons of young people are out there looking for opportunities and they don't care whether it's agri, they don't care whether it's fintech. People just need something to keep themselves occupied and that gives them uh, something to look forward to exactly. So it would be nice if you put this into your agenda, access to information. Let's make it easy for people to access 
the work that you're doing. Provide that information on a push basis. We, let's not have to. You can see people in here in the comment section asking for your email address. Truth be told, we yeah. don't need to have your email address if people want to know what's going on in the space. Exactly. Right? They should be able to go to the website yeah. of the commission of the ministry and find yeah. it. Yeah, so ministry. access to... Access and find information, exactly. Fantastic. To information. Yeah. So if you remember, that was actually one of the first things I said because I yeah. felt like you don't need to have to come to the ministry to make inquiries. Information should be put out there such that the barest minimum um, information you need to make a decision mm-hmm. should be at your fingertips. Exactly. So trust me, these are some of the pain points for me. We are trying to work on it to ensure that this brought to full as quickly as possible. And I like it. I'm sorry that I might be, because someone actually put a comment there now and said it would be nice if we created an agri-fair where technologies or new technologies within the space can actually be showcased. So I think that's a fantastic idea. Thank you very much for that. And for that reason, I'm actually very happy to be on this um, forum. It's serious. Are, and trust me, you guys have really made my day. We can work with you on that. It's serious banter. You guys have really made my day. Today. I will so collect really transparency. I'm really happy. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, it's, don't worry. I know we're not able to accommodate all the questions, but thank you so much uh, for, for your time and for being here. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Justin, yeah. how are you feeling? Now we can talk about grass. She's actually, she was very impressive. Justin, before we go on, do you have anything to add? Uh, Michael can just jump back, right back in. I mean, I like I told her, one of the key things that, and I'm glad that we have younger people like this taking those kinds of public offices because hopefully, even though that's not a panacea in itself, we've seen seen people mm-hmm. of our generation take these offices and still make a mess of things. So, so I'm yeah. happy that she came on. I'm happy that she clearly knows what she's doing. I mean, she was taking questions extemporaneously. She has given us an idea of what she's working on. Uh, those that are still in planning phase, those that um, they intend to do. One thing is clear. Number one, you can't really make much progress without po- proper policy interventions being in place. No matter how how much of a Michael passionate about the business and everything that you are. If they don't get the policies right, you heard Michael agitating for his file on her table. With all his passion. Sign your file by yourself now. <laughs> so that's I don't <laughs> My file, <laughs> say, Madam, my file is on your table. I want that with love. So anyway, so it's important. And as we've seen in the past one week, if you've been reading the news headlines, no matter how well crafted your business plans are, no matter how well thought out your business model is, if you get on the wrong side of regulation by omission or commission, you are sunk. Right. Yes. In our conversation with Efosa Ojomo, when we're talking about innovation and, and uh, market, creating market, market creating innovations, I mean, so I was arguing the opposite of Efosa's thesis. I'm basically saying, guy, I understand and I agree that innovation is key to moving forward. But if you're in a, in a hostile policy environment, if you're in an environment where policy that should be a catalyst is rather a weapon in the hands of people who have captured the instruments of state, then you're really not going to move forward. And Efosa said something that I really learned from. And he said, so do everything that is necessary to engage with the regulators and make sure that you get policy on your side, one way or another. Now, whether you do it by lobbying, 
which Michael called the backyard name. Right. Or whether mm-hmm. you do it by any other name. The important or by putting is, or by putting them on your advisory board. Put, just do it. In fact, ever since I went and to keep say, in mind that is why many people are against Dangote. Because well, they feel like he's the government. His is one model. Another model is uh, just that we ran out of time with her, right? But I wanted to talk about PPPs, right? So, madam, what do you have in mind in collaborating with the private sector? Because it's one thing for you to regulate, but there are skill sets in the private sector that by the nature of government, you just don't have. Right? Can't do. You can't do, yeah. yes. So, For example, if they are going to build, if they are going to build silos, no government does not have business with that. Instead, yeah, somebody yeah, who yeah. got an award contract. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> somebody who got an award contract and money go lost. Uh-huh. And then they'll be saying, yeah. off mic, off mic. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's very important for us that we engage in this way increase the level of this kind of engagement so that you get people... Tomorrow, Michael is going to go and collect him. It's fine. You won't come here and tell us anyway. He's not going to... I'm following you. No, don't worry. Uh, if you like my tea on agriculture matters. Thank you, and I'm tracking. like my tea on agriculture matters. I try. Uh, anyway, Michael is my guy anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Now, see, I'm not even discussing. As we've seen in the past week, between... Uh, we were talking about Gokada. Ope has mm. happened. Nipost and the, the logistics businesses happened. This thing is going to keep chasing us around until we turn our backs to the wall and start pushing back. And pushing back is not necessarily doing a looter. Pushing back is exercising soft power, right? What is soft Being power? Being part of the process. Yeah. Exactly. Be, become a part of the process. Engage, engage formally, engage informally. Become more than a name on a letterhead. Put in yeah, face yeah. time with people, Right. And right. I mean, that's the only thing we have left because, <coughs> like Efosa said, Oga, we have prayed, we have fasted, we have done everything. <laughs> Go to work. It's not working. Go to work. What do you do next? We have to move <laughs> forward, we have to make progress. So, I mean, I'm happy she came on, and that, those are the pointers that I took from that. So, I, I, I yield my time now, and Michael can continue with the master class. Uh, before, before I. Abby, before I. Uh, <laughs> People want to make sure if you complete your the sequence of what you were saying, you know. Are- yes, yes. But before I even continue, you know, sometimes you guys think, say, Oga, uh, Michael and Oga, I know your girl, I have an Oga, <laughs> and my Oga just signed in. So if you are smart, you have to acknowledge your girl when he signed in. So uh, I'm acknowledging my wife, uh, Dr. Biola, just ah. signed oh. in. So, I want to eat tonight. Like, after all of you, done, I will not eat grass. I will eat when I get to. So, <laughs> Madam, that was for you. Welcome. We have attendance. Michael has off mic. Michael, <laughs> <laughs> off mic, He's a good guy. God bless you. It's okay. It's okay. I think we're at uh, the last, we have talked about PRTP. Mm-hmm. Uh, the P was the process. And the last one, which is very important for an agribusiness uh, from day one. And this, I think, is what prevents you from losing focus. And I'll talk about the pitfalls. And you realize that the number one pitfall for an agribusiness is the losing focus, especially in an environment when there are massive opportunities everywhere. So you can, you can easily lose your focus. You start with maize. Then you, that's why you go to some people's farm and it looks like old McDonald's farm. You ask <laughs> you ask Neil, it does this. What are you doing? Because it's not possible for one man to master all these various value chains 
but it's often because you are in a country where is where we are developing, and the opportunities are truly boundless. So you have a tendency to be going in a straight line, and then you see a curve, you take it, you, and before you know it, you are master of all trade, uh, jack of all trade, master of none, and then you end up losing focus completely. Now, the one thing that can prevent you, that can have, make you avoid losing focus, is this last point, the last E, which is planned exit. Look. The farm, uh, the agribusiness you are in, you don't have to be in it for the rest of your life. It is a business. There must be an exit. Are you planning that this business should be passed on to your children? If that is the case, you must have it properly structured for, for an estate. Your kids must know that this one is passing on to you. So that child must be going to the farm, to the business, engaging the, uh, the, the general managers, everything from when they are little. That is, might be an option. I'm not saying that's an exit, but you have to retire. You cannot just be in the business forever. So succession Number planning two, is key. Is, that's for that. Now, if your own is, I want to take this business and I want to sell it, then you must build, yeah, then you must build, you must build the business with that in mind. So if you are building a business for exit of trade sale or for IPO or for venture capital or for PEs, then you must have that in your roadmap and you must plan it accordingly. Just okay, fine. We're going to build this business in these five years. This is what we do to take it to where it can be sold. This is the gap of years. I want to sell it. If you want to list it, there are various ways to list. I will get to that when I get to finance. Nigeria have a secondary market, NASD which is available for large agri, uh, uh, even medium scale and uh, small agri business to raise money. And you can decide that that's how you want to exit and hand over the company to professional managers. Okay. So it is very important that you have exit in mind from day one. It is very important that from that day one, that exit in mind is what will keep you focused. Because if you know that I, I need to sell this business in four years, five years, then you don't have time for Anki Panky. You don't have time to go from cattle to pursuing fishery. If you know you have a business that you need to hand over, then you know that, okay, I have to buy, I, I need to have some assets underlining it. So while I might decide to lease a lot of land around it, but I still need to own some assets. So maybe I own my flagship it's because I plan to sell this business at a trade sale. If you are planning to sell the business as a straight sale, but as an anchor for another business, that's okay. I'm just interested in retail distribution, for example. And so I will do a lot of rentals across Nigeria, set up a lot of franchises, and I will just ultimately exit into the hand of a big player. Again, the exit impacts your business strategy. And that is the difference between an agribusiness and farming. If you're into farming, you don't care about exit. Because one year you decide to plant maize, the next year you do cowpea. The year after you might not, you might decide not to plant because you just hammered the contract and you don't care about that anymore. There are easier ways to make money than farming. But if you're an agri business, you are organizing this. You've already you even put in your tax incentives. You package it because it's part of your goodwill, which you will ultimately sell to somebody that is trying to buy the company from you if you decide to sell. So these are things that you need to put in mind when you are structuring an agri business. So PRTP, let me go over it again. Is plan, register a team, build, register, build a team, implement processes, and then plan your exit. PRTP. In terms of why do we need to do agribusiness? So there are three reasons why you do agri, agribusiness, by the way, or you should engage in agriculture as a country, as a strategic industry. 
One is food security. That means you need to feed your people. So you need to have that food ready during COVID-19 to feed people. Yes. Two, you need to create jobs. Now, there's an argument that agriculture, as in primary production, is not necessarily a source of massive job creation over the long term. That is very true. Over the long term. However, when you first start primary production, you need a lot of bodies. You need a lot of people. As you create processes and you mechanize and you automate, you reduce the people. Now you move those people to processing. And those people will now move even further because you are integrating the business. They will move further to supply, distribution, and the rest of them. So over the entire value chain, agriculture can indeed employ a lot of people. But if you look at agriculture as just primary production, that's when you start having the issue of seasonal unemployment and all the other issues around mechanization and, uh, and automation. That's one reason. That's the second reason. Now, the third reason is as a revenue earner. And that's the reason, that was the thing I was pointing out to the commissioner. If government wants to earn revenue from agriculture, there are two ways. Either you earn it as taxes, which I've already declared, and all of you have heard, that it's a tax-free sector. It is a more or less a tax-exempt uh, sector. But the second way is for government to earn it from the sale of the commodity by export. So there are two ways you can sell your agricultural produce. Either you sell it domestically, in which case you are providing for food security, or when you export it, you earn foreign exchange. So that goes into the government coffers. So if we as a, as, as a people want to achieve these three broad goals, then we must also understand that agribusiness offers us the shortest route to achieving it. Why do I say so? Is it easier for you to impact 70% of Nigerians, which by the way translates to 140 million people, transfer your skills, knowledge about adequate, proper farming, productivity, all the different things, automation, blah, 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 blah. Which is easier, to do that to 140 million people or to do that to 1,000 businesses farming 1,000 hectares? It is far easier to do it to 1,000 businesses farming 1,000 hectares than to say I want to target all 140 million people. You will not be able to achieve scale in terms of knowledge transfer or improve productivity or improve practices if you are just focusing on the farmers, the subsistence farmer, the survivors. But if you build what we call centers of excellence, champions in the agri sector, it is easier for you to say, fine, Mr. Man, I want to move you from 50 hectares to 200 hectares next year, and then I want to move you to 1,000 hectares, and then you are the one now in charge of them because you have processes within your company. You can then transfer knowledge to them, and then you can now inspire another generation of youth to go and do his own 50 hectares, his own 100 hectares, and his own 500 hectares. That's one reason why agribusiness is very, very, very important for our country. The other one is that because of our years of focus on smallholder farming without focusing on agribusiness, we do not have what we call agri-practitioners. People jump from one side of agri to the other. There's no specialization. So knowledge is lost. Documentation of knowledge is not done. But when, if we focus on agribusiness, then we have more likelihood of having and ensuring that this knowledge is documented and then becomes available to future generations of Nigeria. Another thing is scale. Agribusiness can achieve scale. A small farmer cannot achieve scale. So therefore, we cannot benefit from the economies of scale. Agribusiness also can be a, a vehicle for nationalism. Look, if, uh, if today China, Russia and, and Egypt decide to collude on which production, the rest of the world will feel it. You can use your agribusinesses. Look, in the world, there's what we call the ABCD of the commodity, of the agri-commodity. Uh, Acadaniel, I believe is a uh, French company. I think the C is Cargill, and D is, D is the drummer or the dresser. Those companies, the ABCD of the com- commodity business, are agri-companies that have become global behemoths. And what they say and what they do becomes final when it comes to commodity uh, exchange in the world. You cannot achieve that level as a country if you don't focus on your agribusiness. If you can't achieve that to the smallholder farmer, it's just basically impossible. 
Another reason why we need to do this is also it, it allows us to be able to attract investors and best practices. If a company like Academias wants to come to Nigeria, do you think they will go and deal with a small Lola single farmer or they will deal with Ola Mandangote? They would rather deal with Ola Mandangote. So for us to formalize and for us to ensure that we get best practice and attract investment to this sector, it is imperative that those of you who are in diaspora especially, please do not do, don't do farming. I forbid you from doing farming. You must engage in agribusiness because that is the reason why we have spent so much money on your education. We spent money on paying your plane tickets to the abroad. Those of you who are in Nigeria, exactly. we spent so much we to engage in exposure. Okay. Exactly. Michael. Yes. Michael, hold on. We have, we have one example here. Leke, can you please engage Michael real quick? So, Leke, tell people a little bit about what you are doing. So, yeah, I think I would agree with Michael in terms of don't go into farming. So when he says don't go into farming, don't make farming your primary, like that is the only thing you want to do and you want to make money off of that. So I have a team, I have a farm consultant, I have a manager. I hope all of you are hearing that. He has a team, very important. Yeah, I have a team and that is what they do. So now I have 100 hectares and I'm looking at scaling. So what we really want to do is have all farm, all farm plantation and several other things but in different, I call it compartment. Now, and I have a specialist for each of those crop types. So the one doing cashew is totally different from the guy doing all pan. It's totally different from the guy doing pineapple. And, and the reasoning behind that is I don't want somebody to do the three whereby I have a single point of failure. So the guy is no more available, then I start running Elta Skelta. So it's very important for me to like, maybe I have a decentralized team where I can rely on any of them, and they back up each other too. Of course, it is expensive, but that is how I can scale the business beyond primary production and then moving into processing. So being in diaspora and doing all of that, it's, it's quite challenging because I have to meet with my team almost every day, and they drop me updates almost every time and tell me what are the roadblocks, what are the challenges, what do we need to do, how do we need to get past the barrier that is in front of us. So it is very interesting. I mean, when I wake up 5 a.m. in the morning, I meet with my team the very first thing, nothing. Just drop me an update and let us get these things done. And so that's why I agree with you, Michael, on when you talk about the team and, and things along those lines. And again, also, it is, it is financially draining. So for some of you that are thinking about doing it, you have to have that cushion to be able to do it at first. Justin? Yeah, I was asking, so how do you... Maybe the first question I should ask is, is your farm a startup or do you already have producing plants? And are you already selling? No, it's a startup. Okay, so it's a startup. Okay, okay. So the yeah. second question doesn't wrap. I was going to ask about off-take arrangements. Do you export and all of that? I have that in the works as well, actually. Okay, so what, what, how yeah. are you approaching that? For the benefit of maybe I'm, some I'm, people who want to export grass like me. Yeah, I, I, I applied for export license through the NEPC, right? That, that is still being processed. Then I, I intend to take advantage of the Agua because I'm in Yankee, right? Yeah. So we can, we can use the Agua stuff to actually plan export. And I still have meeting with some people here um, next week to talk about that. And some of the guys that are already doing it, bringing containers of African you know, spices and several other things into the U.S., you know, through Atlanta, Houston, Chicago, New York. So I want to talk to those guys, and they were like, okay, that is where the value-added services, if you're planning production, you still need to be planning about that export almost at the same time in tandem. Don't say until you start producing, then you start thinking about export. At that point, there will be lag. Yeah. 
and, and actually, then that's, that's another sorry that, that, as i think about it that's actually an opportunity for somebody who might not want to go into agri but wants to do the logistics part of it that can be right. provided as a service to you right so yes you just come to your farm we carry the thing and all you want to know is that it comes to houston or wherever it is that you yeah. yeah that's it but if you want to do commodity commodity trading and all of those things i think you need to have an export you know an export license right. just so if you want to do it. And then you okay, I mean, Dangote have different group of industries, right? So you can also have an extension of your own primary industry and say, I have a logistics arm. They will take care of that. Somebody else handles that. So you maintain My control. The end-to-end. Uh, right. Control end-to-end of the value chain. It's not that only you, but then you can work in collaboration with others, just like you know, you have logistics or Michael that says, okay, that's what I do. You can bring them together, form like a group of companies. And you guys have equal share in the bottom well, of Brexit. It is the grass cabal. Let's move on. <laughs> I know, right? So, so like, like, let's let's um. So, there's cocoa deal that can talk about commodities on. I'm not okay. sure if it's ready, but Michael, Michael can continue. But if you wanted to yield, maybe like five, three minutes for cocoa deal to talk about commodities. No, um, absolutely. So, Michael, yeah, I'm ready. All right, yes, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Talk about export and stuff real quick. Give you a few minutes to talk about. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for the contribution from everybody. So in the past three years, we received average of 20,000 calls and WhatsApp messages, mainly around three questions on cocodeal.com. It's about how do I begin export? What can I export? To what countries can I export? Three things I'm going to mention just in a very short discussion right now is decommoditization, is export, and understanding the international market. First of all, decommoditization. You see, beyond Lagos, there's so much opportunities around Nigeria and the other 36 states. Go to Benue State, go to Jos, go to Kaduna, go to Kano. There are tons of cheap commodities you can get. Repack them neatly, get their nutritional value, put them in a sachet, and you will sell to large markets. That's for the decommoditization. Now, for the exports, there are some documentations you need to get, like the Nigeria Export Promotion Council, the NXP documents, the when you are shipping anything like vegetable, you need quarantine documents. Couple of documentations you will need to get, which I will type in in the comment section. Now we get lots of market needs from countries like Netherlands, US, UK, Canada for spices, for yam flour, for a ton of goods. Then I'm going to mention so many products that people may not know about. Things like castor oil, share nuts, Arabic gum. There are tons of products that people need to understand and get knowledge about. And for the graduates, it's essential to understand that the graduates need to key in this agribusiness. And agribusiness is more of the retail and the marketing sector. Now, what do you need to do? You need to package goods or find a market for it and distribute and sell. That is it. Now, it gives opportunity to so many graduates to get jobs and employment. It doesn't have to be on a large scale at start. Just get it done and repack it simply and sell to so many markets. There are markets in Africa that need so many things from Nigeria. Markets like Egypt, markets like um, Cameroon, markets like South Africa. They export goods daily, like largely. I wonder why Nigerians don't know so much about this maybe because of the information dissemination that it's not so smooth. So I'm going to be rounding off now so that I can pass on to someone else. 
There's lots of international markets as is people ship on US daily. People ship uh-huh. well. by the way, by the way, uh, Mexico is the biggest market for our Zobo, which is actually discussed for yeah, I discussed. Wow. I think they yeah. are planning 10,000 hectares now to plant theirs. So I'm gonna summarize like that. There are so much opportunities in the export markets. People just need to ask and look forward to what they can do in that area. You don't need to be too big, but the 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 value in it is that a Canadian person will pay. So when you when you export like yam flour to Canada, it's about 50 to 60 Canadian dollars. When you convert how much they sell in Nigeria, it's about 5,000 R. It's about three times markup when you export to the foreign market. There are so many goods like that that have huge 200%, 300% markup selling to foreign markets. And there are lots of tons of diaspora Africans abroad that this is what they eat mainly, this is what they consume, to large commodities like sesame seeds, ginger, zobod, hibiscus flour, share nuts, share butter, cocoa butter, it, tons of goods. Absolutely. So that's I'm going to leave it for now. Cocodew.com. Say that again. Cocodew.com. C-O-K-O-D-E-A-L.com. I'm going to type it in the section now. Yeah, so my brother was just complaining about it. Ten dollar yam. Uh, to buy yam in, in America, yam is luxury. I chop yam. I'll buy. I'll buy one yam in Bedway for three hundred dollars. Ah, our yam here is big luxury. And yam will be as big as my hand. So one of our guys asked that, uh, what, "What what can we export to Egypt?" <laughs> What can we export to Egypt? Zobo. The guy well, like a couple of goods yeah. you can export to Egypt. You can export hibiscus flowers. Yes. You can export flowers itself. There are about 10 types of different flowers. I mean, flowers like roses. They have different names. I have them on computer. I don't have them often. These countries buy flowers, like flowers, raw flowers. Mm. You can export flowers to um, Egypt. Then there's other things that you, you can also export, like zinc, lead. I, think I wanted to also point out to this issue of a flower. Kenya, three planes full of flowers to London every day. Three planes. Exactly. Yes, to, to London every day. The flower market across the world is huge. And the reality is that the best flowers grow in Africa, especially in our mountainous and, and uh, play two regions. So, 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 grass. and you know, flower is a form, is a form of grass too. So, I just grass wanted to remind. <laughs> so, so I, was going, just... I was going to say that. Eh? I mean, the key learning. This is forget all my banter. This is entirely new territory for me. So, I'm probably learning more than anybody else here. One point of friction <laughs> that I notice is the fragmentation of information about this. Right? Yeah. I mean, just listening to Coco Deal talk, listening to Michael talk, you realize that there's a lot of information that is not necessarily hidden, but it's not curated. Right? The information mm-hmm. is in silos. So, a lot of people that are looking for something. Exactly. Because going to Benu and buying mangoes that are wasting is not, is not the difficult part. Because I know that a lot of mangoes were going to waste. That's why I used to, that's why mangoes came to my head. That's not too difficult. That one is a simple logistic problem. But the bigger logistic problem is, like Coco Deal was saying, it makes more sense for me to get the product 
and move it to a place where I will get higher value per product per unit, right? Which is basically export. The information gap here is how do you move it from aggregating in Benway, passing through the formal export documentation process and getting the logistics on the other side, right? To handle the last mile. Are we able to, do we have, do we have the people in here in this chat to aggregate this information, right? And create a how-to document to help people out. Please, anybody that's trying to start this company, I just know that Sirius Banter owns 5% of the, the business. I'll put extra five for listening on <laughs> Don't worry, you own 5% of the business. Just so you know, we'll send people work. No, I mean, the reality across the sector is information asymmetry. I mean, yeah. um, this is the reason why if you are going to create a successful agribusiness, the, the PRTP mantra has to be there because it allows you to quickly mop up less information while creating processes to aggregate your own information to then make it become the intellectual property of the organization you are, you are creating. It's, it's a little different from what you do where you are just seeing and acting. And, and this brings us to the point which uh, Bolad asked me. He said, why are there few agribusiness in Nigeria? The number one reason is what we all know. Uh, the deliberate policies and our deliberate insane focus on smallholder farming. It's, it's political on one hand and it's also convenient. In fact, if you, if you are seen to be championing agribusiness in about 10 years ago, you might be considered by the development agencies that dominate the sector to be inhuman, wicked, wanting people to lose jobs, until people like us stood up and said, no, 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 no. You guys don't do smallholder farming in your country. Why are you coming to encourage it in our own country? So those deliberate policies, in fact, some are also I explained last week, some are embedded in the constitution as ensure that we are where we are today. That, the yeah. other part of it also is that in almost every sector in Nigeria, if the government have not figured a way to make revenue, then there will be, there's less correct formalization and aggregation. What do I mean by that? Until the government's primary way of earning income today from any business in Nigeria is taxation. That is already off the table. The other way they can make money from this, which is through the commodities board, which is what they do with oil, is very it's cumbersome and difficult to do since we now have to do it on 37-state basis. So, therefore, the approach for the government or the politician is to encourage smallholder farmers because at least that guarantees election votes. And then you don't have to worry about winning election if 70% of your election base, in some states, 80-90% farmers, and you give them what they call empowerment, distribute one fertilizer, some of them, they give them fertilizer. They say they give them fertilizer. What they're giving them is urea. They don't even know. They just apply it. It kills all their crop. They'll come the next year. they wave to the governor. you will throw five naira at them. Everybody will grab it. Again, this is the whole empowerment ecosystem around farming instead of going the agribusiness way. And so over a period of time also, you've seen that a lot of people consider agriculture to be a retirement plan. I always say this. There's something that the energy of youth achieves. You see, those of you on this call today, you are looking young and you have energy. He said you are looking young. <laughs> you are all looking young. Give it 20 to 30 years. All of you just want to chill and relax. So a lot of people will now 
say, oh, I'm going to, while I'm working, I will be aggregating land. I want to retire to my farm. And then when they try it in the first one or two years, and they almost have uh, hypertension, or not that they actually have hypertension already, it almost kills them because they are now running after young people who are trying to build them. There are leakages everywhere, and then they will abandon the farm. And this is what I call the caca store. Go to the middle belt of Nigeria, from Yola to Kogi to Nasarawa, everywhere you see abandoned farms. I mean, some of you think there are no modern farms in Nigeria. Massive. There's one that we actually lease for, 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 for processing our meat. They are all over the country, abandoned projects in, in farming by individuals because they all planned it as a retirement plan. And then when they enter, they don't have the energy. And because they don't have the energy, it then gives farming investment a bad name. So over time, everybody has shied away from, oh, agriculture, ah, too risky. I, I don't know if we have any question. The next thing I want to tackle very quickly, two things. One is the three factors of production and the approach to agribusiness. How, what are your pitfalls and challenges? And then what are the opportunities? The obvious one that most, almost every farmer have to deal with, the question they first have to ask themselves, do I own or do I lease my land? Land, 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 right? I mean, you're a farmer, you need land. Do I own or do I lease my land? Do I rent it? Do I? And it's often a question that requires some degree of thinking and trade-offs. If you put all your money in land, uh, then you might end up realizing that you cannot actually run the, the core business itself if you are putting all your money in land. But lease land also comes with its own degree of headache. I mean, unfortunately, because of our fragmented system of land seniorship in Nigeria. But if you require massive amounts of land, maybe you are farming grains, which is uh, quite land intensive, you will ultimately have no choice but to have some kind of hybrid or a mix of both. That means I will always advise that in the short term, you go in, you lease land uh, to start so that you are not, uh, you don't, you, the paralysis by analysis does not set in. You have figured out the business plan. You think you have a good business. You can reach out to someone that there's a lot of farms that are not used in Nigeria, period. And so you don't need to be paralyzed by, oh, I need to buy land and I can't find land to buy. If you, if you have sufficient good relationship on ground, you'll find someone that will lease you their land. And you can lease for two to three years while you then use and plow the uh, initial profit from just production or from just processing or from just distribution to now acquire your own, what I call your own flagship. What I've learned, the, the model where we did, that we went with at Vetman's was that uh, we focused on that flagship to sort of serve as our own pilot to, 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 to demonstrate to the world what we can do on a grand scale. So our 40-hectare pilot ranch is, is actually what is called Owonikoko Ranch and Farms. People think that the business is called Owonikoko, but it's actually the flagship, and uh, we're very, very proud of it. Owonikoko! <laughs> Yes, you can you can so Google. When are, when are we going on an excursion? Fashi Google. Uh, we are even we should be live we should be live on the uh, Airbnb tours by the end of the month. Uh, so the the, the, the is not playing. <laughs> so if you want a tour, when you come to Abuja, you backpack, you pay to you pay to see the ranch. Yes, I will give you people discounts. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, the idea is have that at the minimum. And then lease the other things that you want to do that is massive. I mean, this is just my own advice and approach to that problem. The second thing is finance. Uh, okay, so before I even leave the land, the other issue is uh, please and please ensure you get your CFO. That's the only way that land becomes, that land is useless to you if you don't obtain your CFO. Please get your CFO for it to be useful for you for capital reasons in the future. That's mm-hmm. that. Now, when it comes to the second issue, capital, uh, this is uh, finance. 
and knowledge capital. I look at capital. I, I, I can remember the initial question was, you know the way you were saying that farming and agribusiness, and it started looking like you have to have big money, and you said you'll tackle yes. that. Exactly. I will tackle, I will tackle that from that perspective. Yeah. Like I said again, I'm a firm believer in just starting. Get started. Just do it. Like Nike, just do it. Don't be paralyzed by one singular factor of production. The way I said it, land, you have to find leasing lease. When it comes to finance as well, it's the same approach. You you will incredibly surprised what you can achieve with a small amount of money that is that you actually plan for rather than a large amount of money that you're just throwing out there without a plan. So which is what a lot of a lot of our people don't do, which is the first P plan. So if you plan very well, the amount of money that you actually need to get started will not be that much. But you can also raise that money within your circle. So be very open to partner with folks. I'm a firm believer in raising money within your circle of influence. If you have a good plan, you good. that's what we did at Owenikoko. We had a plan. We went to a group that, uh, when I was coming back to Nigeria, I said, look, guys, I'm putting a lot of my own retirement money, my 401k, I'm, 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 I'm withdrawing some money. I'm starting this uh, business. But I also need your support. And you know that I'm not going to run away with your money. This is my plan. They bought into the plan, and we raised about $200,000, which we now combine with our own money to actually start the project. So you must be open to this. You must be open to partner. In fact, I think the best discipline that your agribusiness will get is from having outside investors. If it's just your money and your wife's money and all that, there's a tendency to turn it to my money and then to do what you like with it. Oh, kill that chicken there. It becomes your chicken. You go and eat it at home. You don't pay for it. It will not work. That's the beginning of the first leakage. But when you have this mentality, that this is investor's money. I'm a guardian of other people's money. It introduces some level of discipline. Very, very important. Thirdly, uh, aside from uh, your friend, family, and fools, of course, there are also angel investment cycles. There's a lot of grant programs out there that is available for agribusiness. There's also a lot of support for agribusiness within the system, as it were. Government, like the reason why I always make a joke that the reason why a lot of uh, agri supply business will never be able to make money is because that because government give a lot of subsidy and largesse to farmers. Make sure you position yourself to obtain those largesse. We benefited from participating in what they call the ERGP focus labs. We got a road, almost seven kilometers of road. Our farm road is better than the road to my house. It's expressway. I got that from a government program that we participated in in March 2018. And we went in and we had our team and they said, okay, what two things do you want? We wanted three things. We wanted a road to our farm. The Ministry of Agri immediately swung into action, got the ecological office to do a survey of the road to our farm. That road used to sink vehicles. Now it's smooth. It's an absolute expressway. Now that came from a government program. So open your eyes wide. It is your government. There's no crime in collecting from your government. You elected them to give you stuff. Collect it. It is your own. Keep it in your pocket and go and do something with it. Very important that you should also start reaching out when you start your farm or your, your agribusiness, sorry. When you start it, please start building and reaching out to building a relationship with VCs and private equity. They might not come in immediately, but it is good for them to have visibility on what you are what you are doing and what you are planning to do. Invite them a little bit about about that because not everyone is familiar with that term. So when you say VC, so some people they just think you're talking about tech. No, right? No. So so there's a there's a whole ag, ag, ag space venture capital in most of them are supported by development finance in Africa. So you have the likes of Acumen, you have the like of Sahel Capital, you have the like of Verod. They invest in, they see even CDC, which is uh, supported by DFID and the UK government, invest directly in agriculture. 
and they are looking for innovative agricultural business. That innovation does not necessarily have to be technology. It could be your business practice, your farming practice, your business model, your approach to the market. And it's good that they have a knowledge of what you are doing, even when you're not ready to raise money. So you just be sending them your updates, your decks, you'll be talking to them, you go to conferences, you engage them, they know you are interested in collecting VC money down the road. So that when you are mature enough, after you've done your angel investment round, you can then say, guys, I want to raise, you typically, most of them have a threshold of $1.5 million to $5 million for the first raise. So therefore, you, when you are mature enough to take that kind of money, in, you can then approach them and then do a deal. And then from there, they will be the ones to now look for private equity to then come and take them out in an exit. That is now when you're talking about big money. Then you can now go and be sipping pina colada like on the, the beach. You, I like the way you put it. When you are mature enough to collect that kind of money. Five million and vanish to Caribbean. I know what you're saying. So 21 and up, please. Anyway, the second to last thing I want to talk about is public listing. We don't explore this a lot enough in Nigeria. I believe that if you're a small or to medium-scale agribusiness, you start planning for this, and you have this in your, in your front view. There's opportunity to raise money from public markets in Nigeria called the secondary market. You can search it out. It's called the NASD. It's the second layer of market to the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. And if you all you need, the documentation you require to list is quite minimal. They, they, they really make it easy for you to be able to enter that market. And they will handhold you literally after you pay the listing fee. To be able to, and then they will do what they call almost like a like a private placement and circulate your deck. And they really, if you've already done VC, you are even qualified to go straight to the public. You don't need to go through private equity. If you've already even done a little bit of angel investment, sometimes you are qualified. So this is also another exit for you. Again, it's about you thinking about the business as a business, not as some kind of personal property that you have to carry to your grave. By the way, all my uh, if your desire is to work until death, there's no better place to work than the farm. But however, make sure that you've already handled all the money you can earn before you die. And that's the reason why I say plan your exit and make your money. Now, so Michael, Michael, question. Can yeah. agribusiness be done as a side hustle? Yeah, it can be done. Agribusiness can be done as a side hustle. In that case, what are you, if you are side hustling, you are, you are a member of the board. Uh, you see yourself as the chairman of a board of directors. And those directors are actually active co-directors with you. Yeah, what we call side also means that you are not the managing director. And I don't, I'm not the managing director of my, of, my, of my farming business, of my agribusiness. I told you guys that the 26-year-old chapter runs it. And his team, the average age of that team is less than 30 years old. And they are doing a fantastic job at it. You must have the vision, you must own the vision, and you must also know that one thing you cannot outsource is talent hunting. Your work as a visionary in any entity is recruiting the team. So I don't outsource that work. In, in any of the businesses I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the board or I'm the chairman of, I will insist that every single talent, including the person that cleans the floor of the store at uh, Meeting Mart, I meet the person. I know the person. I, I know I have a feeling that person has the competence. That part of it, you will never outsource. And yet you don't need to do that on a full-time basis. You can definitely do this. Call it side hustle. I call it residual income for you as a person. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's that. Interesting. So, yeah. So. Now, uh, the, the most important source of finance for any agribusiness is the last thing I will talk about. And please pay attention. The most important source of finance is revenue. Forget all the other stories. You're on your own. Oh, Nikuku. Always remember that. I'm on it. <laughs> now, money. <laughs> so, please, uh, you must pay attention to your revenue and revenue leakages. And also ensure you have revenue diversity. It's not just. Ah, we lost Michael, though. Ah, devil is a liar. 
like you better come back. Whether your battery nine week I ain't take light or on the internet nine go off. I don't even care. Just come back. He'll come back. He'll come back. Guys, I hope you guys have had a fulfilled afternoon. This is because people are starting to see that this is no longer all money. It is now grass money. It, it, oh yeah, it's beyond grass money. Yo. There are so many more. There are so many commodities that will give you that money that will make okay, you. Wait, my car is coming back. Oh, okay, we sell live animals. We sell grass, grass and grass seeds. We sell corn, the maize and the rice that comes from it. We sell the shaft of the corn that comes from the from the corn that we make. So suddenly you are realizing that you are not. When I say I'm I'm, I'm a livestock farmer, is an holistic word. That encompasses a, a number of a mm. diversity of revenue that is built in a focused supply chain. So I will talk about the value of focus down the road. But you have to understand that even though you are talking about diversity of revenue, it doesn't have to mean that you have to lose focus. They have to feed off each other. And then they must leverage each other. The guy that will buy my grass seed is also the guy that will likely want me to become his consultant. So another thing is that ensure you go after the consultancies, please. Don't because you are one of if you are a, an agribusiness in Nigeria, and I as I read to you when we first started this program, you are a pioneer. There are not many of you in this market, not many people have documented and figured out the IPs, the, the intellectual properties you have developed. So yeah. I enjoin you to please, please be very open to providing consultancies to other people that ask for it. We offer consultancy not just to private business. We also offer consultancies to government. We consult for the government of Nasarawa. We consult for the federal capital territory. For free, Abby. You say what? For free, Abby. For free, care. Owo ni koko. In your company, someone say, name in company, Owo ni koko, you're asking this. So, your consultancy revenue also, those are the kind of things that we ensure you can pay your own consultant and your own team. It will also give you this residual revenue whenever you are not actively selling because your family is seasonal or you are not actively selling at that period. Or maybe you, are, you need to sell, but you are looking at the market and saying that the commodity is com- uh, commanding low prices, you rather wait. These are the ways where you ensure that you have your, your, your smoothing, your revenue sources. Trading is also something very important. You might be a rice meal owner. But at the end of the day, your rice meal can only, if you consider the amount of uh, rice that you can produce out of the rice meal, it's not enough for your customer. By all means, take advantage of that. You can start trading rice paddies. You can start trading rice itself coming from other people. So take advantage of that. You've already built a team that is doing distribution and uh, logistics and all that. Put the trading aspect of it and make money on your uh, margin of trade and set aside a little bit of your, uh, of your, re- of your revenue and margin in the future for, for trading purposes. These are ways where you can ensure to smoothen your revenue and get uh, a, a creative revenue for your for your entity. Also ensure to value hard. Go all the way to the end. Uh, don't just, but you won't do it overnight. Start where you are and then have the vision, that roadmap. Continue to integrate. And this is, by the way, to me, is the biggest opportunity in the Nigerian market. Integration. If you are the farmer that does from, from, the, from seed to table, you have more opportunities to capture the entire value chain of profit margin that is in your in your in your supply chain than somebody that is just doing processing or somebody that is just doing trading or somebody that is just doing production or somebody that is just doing logistics. So you as a as a as an integrated guy that has a vision for integration will win ultimately because you will control every part of the supply chain. And yeah. every part of the supply chain do not necessarily have to just belong to you alone. You might partner, 
you might engage, you might, you might be the one that actually outsource, but take a little bit of leverage or margin on what your source partner does. These are various things you can do uh, to ensure that uh, uh, you become a valuable, remember, a valuable business. Not so much about becoming just a profitable business. You want to be valuable in the sense that I expect you to exit. Uh, you are not just going to be a farmer and farmer for life. You need to make money and you need to go and enjoy yourself on the beach. Now, the uh, last point is labor. It's always very challenging, the human aspect of things. The psychology of farmers currently in the ecosystem, the age, the knowledge base is very low. But I, one thing I will enjoy you to do, like I said, I shared information about the Leventis Foundation, is that you should rely and lean on entities that, that are available to support you and support you with human resources. Don't talk too much. Excuse one. Don't talk too much. <laughs> Don't talk too much. <laughs> and, then, and then the skills phone. You heard that skills phone. Uh, hey. We'll be, we be training farmers. And Bola will pay me uh, a little bit of fee for my for my. Education. Don't worry. Don't talk too much. <laughs> Give me out free and information. Then, <laughs> and, and then one thing. Um, that someone had asked in the last session, I, I was not able to respond to it because uh, towards the end, I, don't, I think it was off and on, is this issue about clustering. Clustering is a fantastic idea on paper, but you'll be underestimating the psychology of the farmer that are currently in the ecosystem if you think that the current farmers can be your cluster. You know, there's something that poverty does to the mind that you, you, cannot, you cannot underestimate the damaged psychology of the Nigerian farmer. In the average Nigerian farmer, we are experiencing this in Doma, by the way. So I'm not just saying this from, I have experienced this firsthand. At Doma, we are going to empower 250 farmers to farm 500 hectares. We are the one applying for Uncle Bora money for, on their behalf. We are the one following the money to them. And then we are the one that is supposed to give them better farm practice, organize them in order to be able to farm alongside our own acreage, which we are doing by ourselves. And almost immediately, the first issue that the farmer has, and the issue any cluster has in Nigeria, is the issue of trust. Most farmers in Nigeria are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, from long years of poverty and long years of failed promises from government and uh, private sector players. So you'll be, you'll be running into, straight up, you'll be running into a massive barrier of trust from day one if you are going into the colossal business. So the, in fact, the, 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 in our own case in Doma, because the CBN takes a long cycle to approve the Ankoporoa, and they had not released the money to them. And then we had already started our own farming. They said we took their BVN and went to use it to collect money. And that's what we are using to do our own farm. And then they started protesting to block our tractors from entering the farmland. So you understand? Like, your BVN is not useful for us. We are a business. We are just trying to help you to make, because we don't think that we should leave this community worse than we met it. We, in fact, we should add to this community. And that's why we are trying to support you. And again, I'm not saying don't do it. I am saying you must understand the psychology of the current crop of farmers, not farm practitioners. And then you must be able to understand how to manage that. Of course, we managed it. We're able to be successful. But you must understand what you are getting into when you are going into clustering. And you must also be able to call your get-out-of-jail-free crowd. You must have a very strong community relations. For us, you must have some native intelligence and some relationship also with security agencies to manage some of these crises, as well as the traditional institutions. You must know what you are walking into when you are doing clustering. Go in with your eyes wide open. A lot of people have lost money doing it. A lot of people have also made money doing it. The, the question for you is what mechanisms do you have in place to mitigate your risk and to ensure that you do not suffer from the blowback 
of this PTSD that Nigerian farmers suffer. I also think that I strongly believe after we've done it this round, that it is better for you to focus on new farmers. So it is better for you to go into an NYC program or to go into a, an agri polytechnic or an agri university and say, look, if you graduate, I want to create a cluster of farmers. I'm going to get the land or lease the land, and I'm going to deploy you guys to practice what you've learned in school. And I'm going to work with you to create a cluster. It is not related to your own activity. And so you might be better off using these uh, new farmers. And moreover, as our country, I told you the last time, the hate of farm, farmers or agri practitioners in Nigeria continue to increase. And so it will be your own contribution to bringing new people into the fold and to train them in, uh, in agriculture. Um, so, Michael, can, do you have any other thing to add so that we can just wrap up and then I'll bring just Absolutely. Uh, so, just, just to end, I think uh, that's the last thing I wanted to say. Uh, your biggest challenges will be assumption. Uh, please don't assume. Any value chain that you decide to focus on, engage professionals to do research. And please don't go to the professionals that give you desktop work. Send people that actually know what they're doing. You, you do your own due diligence to make sure you have serious hands-on consultants that actually will go out to do the research, not the ones that will sit online and give you online uh, crap and then send it to you as a report. Google PhD. Two, uh, Google-based research is not going to work in agriculture in Nigeria, as it, at least where we are today. Data is very scarce. Secondly, is the pitfall of land fetish. So you, you can almost get in. There's a, there's a whole set of farmers that I run into that everything they want to boast about is how big their land is. Oh, I have 300 hectares, I have 400 hectares, I have 500 hectares. And then you get to the place and nothing is going on there. It's not about the land. You can even have 10 hectares, but you can do a lot of production out of 10 hectares because you are, you are, you are, you are engaging modern farming practice. And it's all about yield and productivity, not the land the side of the land. Thirdly, focus problem. I talked about that before. Focus for me is a word that means following one course until successful. Following one course until successful. Don't um, be the jack of all trade master of none. The tendency is that people will try to push you into different things. I've had people that have a lot of loot of money and say, Michael, if you want to get into, if you want to get in, you want to raise money, you want to do uh, this, and I look at them and I smile. I say, I'm not interested. I'm just interested in ranching and farming. That's all I'm interested in. Uh, that's, and, and again, you must have that discipline uh, to say, this is what I want to do and I'm not interested in anything else. Um, also, the last, the last thing is uh, unstructured market. It's go, it's go, and logistics. This is, going to, this is going to challenge you quite a bit. As I spoke when the commissioner was on, agri market, market is largely unstructured. Part of the value that diaspora can add to this market is to begin to bring their experience in other sectors into agriculture and help structure the agricultural market. So I look at this as a challenge, but I also see it as an opportunity. And also the logistics aspect. Um, logistics can kill your business. One thing I also advise farmers generally is, please don't get in logistics business. Don't buy that truck. Don't buy that big lorry. It's not your business. If you try it, the truck driver will destroy your business. I <laughs> promise you that for free. They are a cabal and their own cartel, and they have something that is not very well upstairs, whether they are in Houston or they are in uh, Oshugi. <laughs> so let me give you that free advice. If any of your, your staff, they will come and push you, oh God, we're tired of these truck drivers. Hey, buy it. let's buy loads. Let's buy truck. Let's buy this. Shots Just laugh at them and say, thank you. I'm not interested. I will go ahead and I will find a good partner. So what you do is qualify good partners, 
go through the process of pre-qualification, almost like what you would do if you are working in oil and gas in Houston or healthcare, have people apply, do an EUI, evaluate them, and once any vendor messes up, stop using them. So make sure you have a contract with your logistics partner. Don't get into the business of logistics. It is not your business. You are the business of agribusiness. Unless you have become so big that like Dangote or Holland, will it even make sense? And even Dangote has gotten out of a truck business. He's found, figured out a model that allows this truck driver to own the truck. And eventually, they are managed by a third party. If you get into the business of truck driving and all of that stuff, it will destroy your business. And there's no, remember the truck, the moment you drive it out of the parking lot, it loses 20, 30% of its value. So why will you be owning a devalued asset as a business? So don't get into it. That's just my own advice. Opportunities in the business, integration, I said before, value chain focus, export opportunities, export gaps. And last but not the least, for those of you that have not read this book, I would strongly recommend it, Africa Rising. It's written by a professor out of the University of Texas. But it's, it was in that book that actually I began to see the opportunities in business in Africa. It is the ability is that you do not necessarily have to, organize, uh, to create. All you need to do is to organize the existing market. If you are the business organizing the existing market, you have more opportunities in Africa than any other business. So your number one opportunity focus in this part of the world is organizing the existing market. The market exists. It's just disaggregated and disintegrated. You need to reorganize it. You need to restructure it. And that will create the most value for any businessman. Thank you and God bless you guys for listening. I uh, look forward to continue to engage with you. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. And thank you for everyone that has joined. Uh, this is an incredible show. This is an incredible way to spend your Sunday evening, but we thank you so much. Justin, yeah. you know how, how we normally do now. After the whole conversation, I'll now put the responsibility on your head. Can you give us your thoughts? And uh, we can just wrap it up from here. All right. So first of all, I want to say, Michael, you are the MVP. You know, you, you really brought, I mean, you brought your A game, you brought the insights that make the conversation worth having because, hey, I don't know that Bola has ever held a hoe in his hand before. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for everybody who's attended. Now, my typical wrap-up is to remind us why we do this thing. Why the whole point of serious banter for me and Bola, which... We are still thinking about when all this time and effort and money we are putting this in. Are we going to make any money from it? But hey, <laughs> more, more important than that is there's a joy and there's a satisfaction that comes out of curating conversations that nobody else seems to be having. Conversations that can have real world impact at a very micro level. We're not trying to change Nigeria, change Africa. But if we can curate conversations that connect people, that connect ideas, it unlocks synergies that me and him can't even begin to see. And that, for me right now, that works. That's just it. I, I know that this conversation is not over. If we leave Michael going for another three hours, this conversation definitely is not over. I have thoughts in my head. And for everybody in this chat, expect that this is not the end of this conversation. We are going to take this forward in more creative, more constructive ways that allow people who are... The fact that you took time to be here for three hours, almost four means you're really interested in this space. You're vested in this issue. So we're going to try and find ways, between Bola and I and anybody else, to create a community around this and keep this conversation going. And I can tell you people that I'm joking, but I'm serious about this grass about something. So put a bookmark on that. Well, thank you so much, everyone. At this point, we're going to end the show. Our next show is on Tuesday, because this was just a part two of the agribusiness one. We wanted to finish the conversation, but we still have a lot more to talk about it. But our next episode 
for allotted time that we normally do it on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. West African time is about innovation and policy. What comes first? And what are the things that you need to uh, look out for? Follow our Twitter handle, Serious Banter, at Serious Banter underscore. So till we see you again on Tuesday, thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, do remember to subscribe to our channels and follow our social media handles as well so that you can stay informed about subsequent episodes. And if you have any tips, suggestions, feedback, or inquiry, do send us a message on any of our handles and we will be in touch. See you on the next episode.